Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. So grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach LaGreca. Kevin Gentry. Patrick Orland. Oh, you pointed at me. The, the joys of introductions over Zoom. Uh, that's not our topic, but maybe we'll cover that in a future episode. <laughs> Um, today we're going to talk about, um, the role of, uh, product management and making decisions. Um, last week we talked a little bit about, is the product manager, the CEO of their product, uh, a related product is, is the product man or a related topic is, is the product manager always the decision maker or should they be? Um, so kind of wanted to start the discussion there. What do, what do you guys think? Are, should PMs be kind of the final decision maker? think that is one of the myths right like i think that um you know going into product being like an apm right an associate that you're you're new to it you're kind of like yeah i get to make all the decisions now like i'm in i'm in that position I'm, i'm so excited and then once you get there you're like oh the decisions i make have consequences and and actually i can't make all the decisions myself (laughs) So I, I, I definitely learned that one the hard way um, growing in my career, but um, in, in learning a little bit more on how to collaborate uh, in making those decisions um, and, and getting a sense of um, stakeholders kind of bought into those decisions and that shared understanding. And, and sometimes um, your um, decision that you would have made would change based on the collaborative conversations that you have with your clients or your customers or your stakeholders. But, um, so I, I don't think that's the case anymore, <laughs> but. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think, um, first of all, you just don't have enough information usually to make all of the decisions. Um, uh, so I think a big part of that is gathering information from these different groups, but making sure that they're actually represented. And so I, I think, one of the traps I fell into earlier in my career is I gather some information from some of the different groups, but not enough, not to the point where their, their uh, needs um, for their department were truly represented. And yeah. I think that's one of the keys is having enough to, to do that. And so sometimes you can gather enough and represent that kind of for that department. And sometimes you may not quite have all of the, the knowledge or skills to do that. And you'll need to kind of pull people in to help make your case or to help make a good decision. Yeah, and I definitely agree. I think it's very much a myth that you know PMs have to be the decision maker on everything. I think the on the flip side, almost we in weird ways have more power than we think. You think about you know, hey, if we're given a topic, each of us has our own opinions, and generally speaking, we're going to push things to the fore over others. Whether we use you know business metrics or whatnot to justify our opinions is a different matter. 
But that said, I think once you have prioritized a roadmap and you've kind of gathered a little bit of the opportunity and the data around it, then it really kind of breaks down. So it's like, yeah, okay, maybe I'm going to prioritize this over that. But ultimately, you're right. I think it's like, hey, I have this great idea. We could do all these great things. And then you bring it to the engineering team, like, we can't build any of that. So mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll scale it down a little bit. And then, like, senior leadership drops in from above and it's like, oh, the hell about this great opportunity? And you're like, yeah, I'll slot it in on the roadmap. And the next thing you know, that great idea you had is the tiny little thing in the backlog that you don't ever get to touch. Uh, so it's it's true in some regards and very much a myth in the others. Yeah, you just get to gaze longingly at it and just dream. <laughs> one day. No, I, <laughs> what? No, I just said one day we'll do it. <laughs> one day. One day. Now, Patrick, I think you bring up a really interesting point. I think the myth is that the power is in the decision making. I I think the PM does have a lot of power, but I think the power lies in framing the conversation. Like we, we basically set the agenda in a lot of cases. Sometimes the, the, the outcome of that conversation isn't quite what we anticipated, but there's a lot of power in setting kind of the boundaries of the conversation and, and framing up the space in which people make a decision. Um, and to that end, I think one of the things I was thinking about is PMs, we, we facilitate decisions almost as opposed to make them. Like we collect the data, we get the people in the room, we frame the conversation, and then we guide a group or a subset of a group to some sort of decision or outcome. But I, I very rarely find myself making the final decision on a product outside of a go or no-go decision. Curious. I really like that you. idea that you facilitate. I like that a lot. Hmm. Well, and, and coincidentally, I think the other things, I think you're, you're spot on there. I think one thing I've been reflecting on is PMs have a weird decision-making point oftentimes at like the key moments too, where the engineering team or the designer is going to be like, does this look right to you? So oftentimes like the theme maybe, or the initiative to that point has been facilitated with a lot of people. But then when it comes down to the, like the small details that oftentimes make or break your product, that's where the PM is getting tapped too. So it's, is this color right? What is the copy necessarily? Do you agree with this? Where does it route to? And I've really seen that, like I said, make or break a product too. Yeah, I, that's also a really great point. So I think kind of two takeaways for me. One is that the big decisions, you want to create frameworks that enable those decisions, not necessarily make them yourself. Um, and I, I think the, the best PMs almost... Like when, when you're discussing these things, it almost feels inevitable what the decision will be, even though they're not making it. So I think using frameworks to lead people towards um, the right path, and that means leveraging other stakeholders, leadership, and kind of balancing everything. And then I, I really love what you just said as well, Patrick, the small details also make or break the product. And that's a lot of times where we are making decisions because that had like as soon as you said that i'm like yeah that happens to me all the time designers like should we do this or this what do you think is a little bit better um you know or marketing will be like you know which which message do you think we should test uh for this new product feature etc i think it's also kind of an interesting position to be in too because we have to like we don't just get to make up whatever vision we want as much as we think we do um it's all got to come back to basically the vision that the CEO or VP of product or whoever kind of the, the head of your product org is the vision that they have. 
And it's, it's like, all right, we've got this vision that's being articulated by technology or company leadership. How does that translate into my little part of the world? And you almost have to adopt that vision for yourself and then make decisions on behalf of that vision to the detail that Zach, you and Patrick were just talking about, like talking about copy, talking about colors, but like internalizing that vision and yes, tweaking it and suggesting improvements and doing the research and collecting the data to find the holes in that vision are, are yes, part of the job. But I think a big part of it too is almost adopting another vision and making it your own. Um, which I think can, can be pretty challenging. Yeah, what are tactics that you guys use to um, to actually to do that? That's a that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think first of all, making sure that you're aligned on the vision with your head of product and well, and your CEO really. Um, I think Jake, you're right that that has to be the case or it doesn't matter how, how good of a job you do with the vision. If it doesn't match with, um, your CEO, it's, it's not going to be effective for your company. Yeah. And what, what kind of influence do you have over that? Like, is it, is it, you know, what they say goes, is it, do you have opportunity to influence as a PM? I think you do. Um, I think PM's strongest, uh, tool in their tool belt really comes down to voice of the customer or the user specific to your, your, your target area. Um, and, uh, I think, I think that's the biggest way you influence things. So if there's, if there's a vision that you don't fully agree with having a customer or user reason why, like uh, having a clear problem for your users that conflicts with that, um, I think is, is one of the stronger arguments. Vision's tough though. Cause at the end of the day, it's like if the CEO has picked a certain point on the horizon, they're like, that's where we want to go. And if you just like a different point on the horizon, <laughs> um, maybe you should go start at your own company or join a company that ha is working towards a different vision. Cause that the vision is just where you've decided you want to go and what you want the world to look like. Right. Um, I think strategy is where you maybe have more influence of like, okay, what's the best way to get there. And so that strategy is the, the actual problems that are going to take you in that direction. And that's where I think the voice of the customer and some of these um, kind of product intuitive uh, senses come into place where you can show empathy for the customer and domain knowledge and use those to make a compelling argument to say, you know what, you've charted this course off to the left to lead us towards our destination. I actually think going right for a little bit is, is going to get us there more effectively. And, and here's why uh, I think so. So it's really influencing that strategy, using yourself as that, the hub of information um, and the closest one to that product, distilling all that feedback from the users and influencing the vision by the strategy that you're putting together for your product. Yeah. Yep. That would be my advice. Um, and I, I think, uh, that, so that's, I think an interesting way to look at it in terms of, um, making decisions with like, uh, the CEO, the head of product, um, how do you, how do you influence or how do you enable good decisions with, um, other stakeholders? And so like, Jake, you kind of talked about frameworks. Um, any, any ideas on how you do that? enabling good decisions well if we did that perfectly every time we'd all be billionaires so there you go um yeah i i for me enabling a good decision 
I, I'm a fan of having a less structured conversation as long as people know exactly where we're trying to go, whether that's a decision uh, on a go or no go, whether it's getting to a set of requirements, whether it's getting to an understanding of a product vision, like as long as going into a particular conversation, we kind of know where we're trying to end up. And generally that takes like, that can be as big as a product vision, or that can be as small as the goal for a meeting to get to a decision on a very particular requirement. But as long as we're, we know where we're going and you as the PM set the destination, then great. Like, I think the, the attendees in that meeting will, will surprise you in terms of what, what comes out of that conversation. Um, so I think anything other than that, it's like, why have the meeting? Like, why, why bring the people together if you don't want something that you might not have already thought of? Um, but I do think kind of like when we talk about setting up a squad or setting up a product vision, like the PM's job is to set that vision, set that direction, help everyone visualize where we're going and then get out of the way and let people figure out how to get there. Something I know I've been leaning on more frequently actually is the Kano model. So I'm not sure how many people are, are terribly familiar with it. It's uh, something that actually kind of rose with user research. Um, and it really is kind of looking at different categories relative to level of functionality. So things like must have kind of performance improvements. Is it like an attractive new functionality? Um, or is it just kind of like an indifferent, uh, you know, does that function just cause indifference? And for me, a lot of what I've been balancing is a must have bit of functionality that also is designed to provide a little bit of kind of improved satisfaction. And it's tough because a must have bit of functionality is something you come into an app, you come into an experience, and you just expect it to be there. And if it's not there, then you're, you're just gonna be dissatisfied. But the problem with it is that you never actually achieve real satisfaction. You can work on it endlessly and it's never really gonna improve the experience because it's a must have. But how, and that's where I'm like trying to find this balancing point now with leadership where it's, hey, we are in the situation where we've created this must-have or we're solving some of that. How do we morph it into a, a like a surprise and a light moment? And can we do that? Or do we now have to pivot to something totally different? So that's one model, at least, that might help with some of those conversations. This is sort of tangential, but the idea of uh, striving for satisfaction but never fully succeeding on it. Um, I think that perfectly describes decision-making across different functions, like internally, not with the customer. Um, we've said this in an in earlier podcast, but I think, um, you know, you're, you're probably doing something right if not everyone is happy. Uh, just it's impossible to make all of the departments happy. And so I think enabling good decisions is making sure that you're making the right trade-offs. Um, so you're, you're never going to always have satisfaction across every group. So if, if that's not the case, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong necessarily. Um, I think erring for the side on a decision that has the most satisfaction for the customer is generally the right way to go, though. So the Kano model is a great tool for decision making. Do you guys have other tips or tricks or things that you use that you've built together for your decision making process? Yeah, I mean, I think my decision making kind of framework um, relies heavily on company strategy and the key top line metrics um, because that's that is your alignment with the other stakeholders so if you want to get leadership on your side if you want to get 
marketing, sales, whoever on your side, they're driving towards those same top level metrics. And so that's where your common ground lies. Um, so from there, I look for things that influence why what we're doing is going to get us there. Um, and that, I mean, that takes some, some work and some honesty because sometimes you, th- you have things that you think are really cool, but maybe they're not the most meaningful things to drive you there. Um, but the, the true is, is re- can be reversed as well. And so that's, that's kind of what I use to really influence that. And then the other thing I look at is um, kind of two different um, axes. Um, there is the axis of uh, customer uh, obsession of like doing uh, experiences your customers really like. Um, and then there's business impact. And those are things that move the needle for the business. And so you talked a little bit about the must haves that like you need for the business impact, but sometimes they don't fully equate to the user satisfaction. I think keeping both of those axes in mind um, as you talk with the rest of the group will help you make sure you're balancing those things. So you don't do something that is super cool for the customer, but costs you a ton of money, or you do something that customers hate. Um, but you know, you put out, you know, only ads and no content or something, right? Where it's like, sure, from a business perspective, that um, might, in the, at least in the near term, be good. But you have to balance those two axes. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. We, um, on, on my side of things, I've tried to, we, we've used things, similar things to like the asset test or like a score model where you're kind of evaluating ideas based on certain criteria that's important to your product. And looking at those key, key metrics helps you spit that score out. And that's kind of what we'll, we'll be using. Like, what's the impact? What's the impact to the saver? What's the impact to our, our customers, our clients, uh, revenue to Ibotta? Um, and then, like, level of effort. Like, all of those kind of factors come into at least give us a gut check on the stack ranked order of what we go do next. And then we truly evaluate each idea. Because, I, I you know, for us, it's we have a high visibility product that a lot of folks have strong opinions about. So we have a lot of great ideas and we can't, we can't do the product work to research every single one of these ideas. So we have to have some sort of, we can only do two at a time. Like, you know, I can only put the engineers on one research item while they're continuing to work on stuff. So we have to have some semblance of a a priority and, and that kind of gut check helps us do that. Yeah, I like that. Something you said, I think, is a really good point to kind of dig into. Um, a lot of the different people on the team are very like passionate sometimes about the products we're working on, have strong opinions. Um, how do you, um, how do you, and not necessarily win those arguments, but if you're trying to navigate that, how do you kind of like tip the scales? It all goes back argument? to that. Yeah, it all goes back to that strategy and vision, right? As long as that's clear and concise, and and everyone knows how to play within the space and how to work with you as a product manager and, and in the product. Um, it makes it super easy. Uh, I, I, I say, as long as those are, are obvious and the folks know, um, Oh yeah, we know e-commerce is the top priority. Great. I mean, yeah, I, I get it that my product's taking aside right now, or yeah, I know that thing you're working on is, um, you know, $10 million uh, worth of value there. Like, yeah, mine's only 1 million. I get it. Like there's, I can't compete with that. So at least you understand, like you, you give them, here's my prioritization framework. Here's what matters and what gets worked on and push on them to provide that case to get priority, right? Like that's how you can leverage these other folks that are very passionate. Say like, Hey, I think that idea is great, but this is what it's missing. 
uh, it's not, there's not enough business value here for us to work on this right now. So if you look at this and we can squeeze something out or you can be creative on how to increase this number, then let, yeah, let's do it. And that's kind of helping, you know, democratize that um, priority list or that, that exploration as much as you can. Um, it really helps. Yeah. I've, I found um, as a product manager, no one cares what your opinion is really. Uh, you know, you're not building it. You're not selling it. Um, uh, and so it's kind of challenging from that standpoint. But the superpower that you have is if you know your, your customer incredibly well, um, digging into your customer, like speaking for your customer and showing like anecdotal insights from your customer that can win arguments easily. Yeah. Um, even against like, you know, C-level people, if you're, if you're, cause it's not you, it's the customer, it's the people who are using and buying your stuff. Um, and then I think the other one, you know, Facebook says data, data wins arguments. Um, that can be true as well, but I think it's a mix. I think data can win arguments. A lot of times data might indicate more business impact, and then voice of the customer. And so those are kind of the two cards in your back pocket to have ready to influence those decisions. Um, cool. I think we have some, uh, some good thoughts here. Any last thoughts or ideas for homework? How might you uh, improve your decision-making capability as a product manager? Plugging our podcast, clearly. I mean, that's <laughs> a piece of homework there that will help with your decision-making process. <laughs> <laughs> I would add, check your product vision. Um, make sure that is super clear. And I think most importantly with your product vision, really make sure that your team or teams can visualize what that is. Um, if, if your team cannot visualize what your vision is, then you have a crappy product vision. Uh, I mean, you hear it like, I hate to throw in a sports analogy, but you hear it all the time where teams like, have their, their coaches have their teams lie on the basketball court and imagine raising the trophy or whatever. Like that's just a, such a clear visualization exercise that should translate into what we do as well. So thinking about thinking about how do you get, get your team to visualize where your product is going is, is key. Yep. Agreed. Um, I think my last thoughts uh, would be, um, as a product manager, sometimes you do have to weigh in on larger decisions and, when you do, I think you kind of have a certain amount of currency for that. Um, and when you make a decision, you spend some of that currency. And if that decision doesn't see positive ROI, it's kind of like it starts to limit your, your authority. So be judicious in making those decisions. Um, and then I think the framework of looking at voice of the customer um, and also looking at business impact and really bringing those two mindsets is going to help you influence others and also make decisions that will will be better than just you know opinions of what you think you'd like to see awesome well uh we have finished our coffee so uh thanks for listening this week rate listen subscribe share with your friends your relatives um we don't have merch maybe we should consider merch uh leave comments if you'd be interested in product coffee merch um, but other than that uh thanks for listening now go level up Thank you.